Welcome to Wind Up Weekly. I'm Matthew Gorn. And I'm Katie Canfield. And we're here to share the week's news and wine. This week on Wind Up Weekly, coronavirus continues to dominate the headlines. Hong Kong bars to close for 14 days. Remy Cointreau predicts profits will be down 30% this year. Port sales on the rise. And spirit sales rise in the US, with off-trade up by 55% and online up by 243%. Beaujolais sales on the rise in the UK. And as ever, our wine of the week. So first, our week in wine. Uh, A trend that has emerged during this period of lockdown and isolation uh, is virtual tasting. Last week, uh, Matthew taught a WSET diploma class on Chile and Argentina through Zoom, uh, reaching students all the way from San Francisco to Boston uh, for the first time ever, uniting students from both coasts. Uh, It's certainly a great way to stay entertained and keep up with your studies while at home. And meanwhile, we hosted our own virtual blind tasting with some friends of ours, uh, Tom and Ashley Darling of Darling Wines. We just joined their wine club and we're excited to try their Chardonnay and Syrah that just released. And Lori Tabelet, a fellow MW student of Matthews. We asked Backroom Wines, uh, the shop in Napa, to put together some wines for us and wrap them up in brown paper bags so we couldn't see what they were. So we tasted all these wines together, even though we were in different locations, uh via the magic of Zoom, the app that the world has discovered. Didn't mm. know it was what it was before. Well, I had to teach you how to use it just the other day. You did, and that was very helpful. I'm now an expert on it, I think. Uh, there were two flights of two wines that we tried. Uh, the first was the same grape variety from two different countries, while the second was different grape varieties from the same region. So the first flight stumped us, um, except for Laurie, we have to admit. We all called them Syrah slash Shiraz because there was a spicy peppery quality to the first and really fine tannins, while the second was more alcoholic and fruity and ripe. So we went with um, Northern Rome Syrah and Australian Shiraz, mm. majority of us, but Laurie got it right because the variety was Cabernet Franc. And the first wine was from Chinon, and it did have that green herbaceous quality one would expect, so we weren't too surprised to find that was Cabernet Franc. But the second was less distinct and harder to spot, which is where the uh, difficulty came in. Yeah, so for the second flight, which we did a couple days later, uh, we all decided that we were just going to agree with Lori because she obviously had the the right idea when it came to these blind virtual tastings. Yes, and the, the second Cabernet Franc was from California, so it was that really bigger, richer style rather than the Chinon style. So the second flight was a bit easier, though none of us got the region. Uh, The first one was Pinot Noir, uh, with that kind of pale appearance and floral, perfumed red fruit aromas that you expect from Pinot, uh, and firm but light tannin structure. And the second was Syrah, the full body and high alcohol indicating a warmer region. So we all went California. Uh, but stuck to the north coast, either Sonoma or Mendocino. And in fact, the wines were from Santa Barbara, a region both of us, uh, at least Matthew and I, tend to forget when we're doing blind tastings. Uh, We shouldn't because it's a region that increasingly appears in blind tasting exams and quality is high. So we should really be drinking more of these wines. And, you know, I worked um, a few summers in Santa Barbara in the San Ynez Valley and the wines are so great. And it's interesting to see that now they're gaining traction on the global scale. You're seeing them in export markets and the like. And uh, the Pinot Noir was, in particular was excellent. It's mm. by uh, Tyler, so a really good producer of Pinot Noir and Chardonnay. So we really enjoyed that wine, tasting it blind and then uh, drinking it afterwards. And so we'll we definitely be repeating these virtual blind tastings and we encourage you to do so too. It's fun, sociable and educational, all without having to leave your house. 
And now on with the news. The coronavirus is, of course, dominating our lives and the news, so expect weekly roundups for the foreseeable future on Wind Up Weekly. Its impact on the wine and broader drinks industry is huge, given the necessity of isolation and social distancing. So this is hard times for the hospitality uh, industry around the world. Uh, we talked this week, remotely of course, to Prashant Patel, owner of Backroom Wines in Napa, about how they're dealing with the lockdown and how retail is changing. Just to start, you know, what's Napa looking like right now, in general? <laughs> it's looking pretty grim on the streets. <laughs> I mean, people walking by and trying to observe their social distancing but as far as foot traffic and all that it's looking pretty bleak these days a lot of uh you know obviously phone calls and web orders and things coming in but as far as like people coming in it's pretty sparse yeah because napa is such a tourist town and i guess there's just no tourists at all yeah absolutely zero like i think there was a report that came out um last week from the the, the people who manage the TOT or the, the tax revenue for the hotel industry. And um, I think it said the occupancy rates in the Valley were like 10 or 13%, which is like the lowest it's ever been ever. Mm-hmm. Wow. That just shows you how minimal um, tourism is. And, and I think the bulk of our local tourism is also um, the local Bay Area. Like I think 50% or 60% of our traffic in the Valley is coming from you know, within a one-hour driving shot, most of the barrier is on the lockdown, so yeah. I'm not going to catch much of anything right now. So in terms of day-to-day operations at Backroom, uh, what ha- what are you doing and what has changed? We've been uh, queuing up a lot of work on, um, obviously, our email marketing campaigns and keeping those going. We're doing um, free delivery for the Napa vicinity, so we just announced that. And also, um, we're going to be announcing uh, penny shipping on all orders online for anything over 100 bucks. I think, is the plan right now. So, I mean, our online's been going nuts. So, um, so I think, you know, the name of the game is just to pivot and change and see how fast you can adapt to this thing. So, obviously, we're taking marginal hits um, as far as revenue is concerned, but um, freeing up dollars on inventory is the goal right now. So, keep things moving along keep staff paid and keep the bills paid. That's the goal. Nice. Yeah, I think, what, it was up 45% in the Bay Area? Like, wine <laughs> sales? <laughs> Something like that. Personal consumption at home. <laughs> I, 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 I totally agree with that. And are you getting orders from all across the country or just local orders? Uh, locals, uh, quite a bit of locals um, right now, more than usual, I would say, for in that category. Um, but obviously, um, the East Coast is, you know, they're getting hit hard and we're getting a lot of requests from that end also. Maryland, Jersey, New York, um, Florida, etc. And is it mainly for California wine? Yes. Yeah. Yep. It's good for all the small producers and things that we represent. So, I mean, that's kind of the plea that we're going to be making also is to keep this thing going along. I mean, obviously, the, the importers that we represent also, I mean majority of guys we represent are the small guys anyways but you know we got to keep things flowing for everyone is the goal so so do you think this is going to be or this, do you think this is going to change people's the way people buy wine do you think people are going to buy wine more online in the future when this is all changed and over uh, you know what I'm not sure but I can tell you that from my standpoint operationally we're going to be doubling tripling down on online because 
now is the time to explore that. There's probably going to be no better time to think about doing that than now. So whatever that means, um, as far as your answer, but um, as far as we're concerned, we're definitely going to be pushing more heavily down that path um, just to make sure that we're better insulated against any potential changes in the market coming up here. And what about, uh, like for online, what about virtual tastings? Because so many uh, wineries are now doing that. Do you think that's effective? Are you going to do it as a, as a retailer? Uh, we talked about doing that, actually. Uh, you know, we have that Wines Off the Grid program, and so we were talking about doing, um, you know, preset uh, set of four SKUs that we would ship out to people and then host um, a uh, virtual wine tasting with those four SKUs virtually. Uh, we haven't quite ironed out the details or if we're going to do that yet, but we're definitely talking about it. Um, we'll see kind of how things unfold here and how receptive people are to this thing, but we haven't made any confirmed or finite decisions on that yet. Yeah, I mean, it's only been about three weeks, hasn't it? But it feels a lot longer and a lot has changed in that time. Yeah, seriously, a lot has changed. Like the first week this unfolded, we... Um, very, we were very slow to say anything because I didn't want to prematurely say anything either. Like, I know there's a few retailers that went out and said, you know, we're suspending all operations or whatever the case is. And, you know, a few days later they came back and said, oh, wait, we're back. Right. I didn't want to be in that boat. So we waited. Um, we kept uh, everyone paid during this waiting period as far as the full-time employees are concerned. And then as soon as we figured out a game plan internally between staff and us and also vendors that were going to be delivering wine to us, right, if we need to restock, as soon as we figured out all these moving pieces, when we came to the conclusion that we'll be open and uh, we'll be open for limited availability on store pickup, curbside, and continuing our shipping program. Well, good for you for doing it smoothly. I mean, it seems like things are going well, so that's good. As well yeah, as I mean, as well as could be. How yeah. about that? I mean, yeah. Just like I told the guys, I don't. We don't need to make a profit during this time either. Um, way beyond that, as long as I can keep everything afloat, I think we've succeeded in this current operation, this environment. I mean, mm-hmm. it's kind of nutty right now. Well, thanks for shot. Appreciate yeah. it. Have yeah. a good one. Yeah. yeah. Thanks Be for safe. talking to us. Yeah. So really great to have that perspective from Prashant, and we hope to include more perspectives over the coming weeks uh, and invite more people from different uh, parts of the trade uh, to speak on the pod. So elsewhere in the world with news about uh, coronavirus and its impact on the wine industry. Hong Kong has announced that all bars and restaurants are to be closed for the next two weeks, as it was discovered that 52% of recent confirmed cases had originated from bar areas. Previously, restrictions had forced capacity to be halved to maintain social distancing, but the authorities have gone one step further to ensure that the virus doesn't spread. Here in the US, off-premise sales continue to rise, surpassing the record increase reported in last week's pod, Wine sales rose by 66% compared to last year, with wines prices $11 to $25 up by 82%, a reassuring figure because it means that consumers are buying good quality wine rather than solely in the sub-$10 range. Beer rose by 34%, with particular emphasis on large packs of beer, not surprising given the amount of time we now have to spend at home. Spirits saw growth of 75%, with ready-to-drink cocktails up by 106%, tequila by 90%, and gin by 89%. If these figures weren't remarkable enough, online sales rose by 243%, 
As we discussed with Prashant, this could be the new future. And to capitalise on this growth, in the UK, Matthew Clark has released an app to help bars and restaurants deliver directly to consumers to compensate for lost on-sales. Well, it's about time you get that online wine club up and running, huh, Matthew? It is indeed. I think online is the future and people are going to get used to buying online now. In other news, the Floodgate Partnership reported that sales of their port brands are significantly higher, with orders coming in from 19 countries across the world. The high alcohol and fruity decadence of port are two reasons consumers are turning to port. Also, drinking it at home means that drunk driving ceases to be an issue. In fact, Adrian Bridge, Floodgate's CEO, stated that it's quite typical for sales of port to rise during recession. We actually had some port this week, which we enjoyed with a chocolate cake that Matthew made. Well done, Matthew. We can state that it was quite comforting to sip on a bit of port. Yeah, Nipport 10-year-old Tony. Very enjoyable mm. indeed. However, despite these record sales, there is a great deal of pessimism in the industry, with Remy Quantro predicting that profits will be down 30% this year. Like other big spirits companies, they've been hit hard by the downturn in sales in China in particular, although they are hopeful that they will now begin to pick up as China recovers from the crisis. Even so, bars and restaurants there have a lot of stock to get through before they start reordering. And on a lighter note, we also read about a couple of retailers, one in Maryland and one in the UK, who are executing canine deliveries of wine to people's homes. That's right, the dog delivers the wine. In fact, you can actually donate your dog, who will receive one hour's training before going out to deliver. So I do have one question about this donate your dog. So how long do you donate it for, and are they able to train the dog to deliver wine in just a few hours? Yeah, apparently it just takes one hour's training. I'd actually like to see this in person to see how they exactly train the dog and how the dog responds. And does it just leave the um, the shop with a bottle of wine on its back and wanders off to another house to deliver the wine? So I'm not exactly sure how it works. but um, And it's just for the day. So you donate the dog for the day. So it's like taking it to the dog kennel, I think. So it gets some exercise and training and serves a useful function. So we'll see if this uh, practice spreads. <laughs> So our one news headline of the week that is non-coronavirus related is about Beaujolais. So this week, Beaujolais reported growth in exports in the UK during 2019, with volume up by 22% and value by 17%, the most of any French regions, and this despite the uncertainty created by Brexit. Beaujolais has put a lot of effort into the UK market, promoting its wines as good value and easy to drink, but still of good quality, and that effort has been well rewarded. Growth is predicted to continue, despite the twin fears of Brexit and coronavirus, and Inter Beaujolais still plans to hold its annual tasting in London on June 23rd. Well, this is heartwarming news, isn't it, in a time of uh, bad news every day? because Beaujolais is one of our favourite regions and one that has been long overlooked, but now it seems that uh, consumers are going back to it because it is um, an approachable wine, lower in alcohol, not a big, uh, fruity, bombastic wine, one that's a lot easier to drink. And no surprises that people like the wines, it's just getting them to actually try them and drink them, but it seems to be working finally. And so what about the US? Do we have any data about sales growth here? Because it seems to me the more in my circles, in our circles, uh, which typically include people who know a little bit about wine, at least, um, you know, Beaujolais is kind of 
a favorite among all of us. So I don't know if that's sticking to just kind of trade and maybe people in the wine world, or if that's extending out to just your typical consumer. Yeah, I don't have any figures for the US. I'm not sure what the exact uh, statistical analysis is here. And of course, the US is a huge country with lots of different trends. Uh, As you mentioned, within the trade, Beaujolais is very popular. Um, I used to work at Backroom Wines, which has featured quite a bit in this um, episode. Surprise, surprise. And um, we used to sell Beaujolais very, very easily. And it was to members of the trade and to winemakers. But I think in general, in restaurants, Beaujolais is very popular. And Sons really love Beaujolais. So they're pushing the wines as well. So definitely there is a trend towards Beaujolais. I don't know if those figures would match those in the UK and whether um, there's sold in supermarkets quite the same way. But definitely the reputation of Beaujolais is a lot higher than it used to be. Yeah, and it's always a trickle-down effect, isn't it? As soon as you get the gatekeepers on board, then eventually you're going to start seeing a consumer pull for for wines of a specific style. So if they've got the sommeliers on board, then soon we might see those figures rise. Here's to Beaujolais. So this month, we're changing it up a little bit. For the entire month of April, uh, we will not be presenting a Wine of the Week on the pod because we will be doing a daily video called A Dose a Day with Wind Up Weekly and featuring a new wine every day for the entire month. And that's going to be on Instagram. So if you don't already, follow us on Instagram at Wind Up Weekly. And about five o'clock each day, we'll be uh, presenting a video and um, sharing which wine we've opened that day. So, so far it's just been um, Instagram videos, but now it's going to be live Instagram starting um, Monday the 6th of April and every day for the rest of April. Yeah, so you can see four episodes on our IGTV feed, um, but here on out, starting tomorrow, uh, we'll be doing only live videos. So tune in, 5 p.m. Pacific Coast time. I know for our international listeners that might be hard, but we'll have it on our Instagram story, so it will be available for 24 hours uh, following our recording. And catch up with our videos, which are um, on Instagram already, because we've tasted a red from the Loire, a Gamay, which was absolutely fantastic. Maybe the favorite wine mm-hmm. so far. But we also had a very good Arnais from Marrero, which was uh, delightful. And then, of course, we've had some sherry. I think you drank all that. I, I may have polished it off because it was quite quite tasty. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Katie wasn't happy, as, as you may um um, here. And then we had a sherry from Barbadillo, one of our favorite producers, a Manthania. And then we also had a wine from Washington from another of our favorite producers, Andrew Will, the Ciel du Cheval, which is a Merlot Cabernet Franc blend. Quite tasty. Yeah. And then we are drinking some champagne as we speak by Jean Vassel, and that will be our latest video. And then tune in tomorrow to find out what our next uh, daily dose is going to be. Our first live feed. Cheers to that. So that's it for Wind Up Weekly this week. I'm Katie Canfield. I'm Matthew Gorn. Join us next week for another Wind Up. And in the meantime, we ask that you please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Uh, That helps other listeners searching for the news in wine to find us. Especially if the reviews are positive. That's right. See you next week. Cheerio! Cheerio!